0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spirit Reflections Around the Fire Conversations. My name is Fred Goveia. This is our second live of the year 2022, episode number 77. And we invite you to like and subscribe our YouTube channel, Spirit Reflections. You can look that up and see a lotus flower. It's very important for us if you help us get the word out so that this kind of content can be spread around to people who might be interested in learning about new concepts. We bring artists, we bring musicians, we bring religious people, spiritual people and philosophers from all walks of life to talk about their personal and their spiritual journeys and how the tools that they found along the way have shaped the work that they do and who they are today. And today, we're going to be talking about music, Johann Sebastian Bach, Bach's spirituality, why that composer is so important in the history of Western music, and some say even worldwide music. And for that, we're going to have Simone Leiton, Dr. Simone Leiton, PhD, one of the most beautiful composers, I'm sorry, uh, pianists that I know. I think she does a little composing too, actually. I know she conducts also. And we've had the pleasure of meeting at the University of Miami a few years ago. And Simoni has studied under some of the most important professors and uh, piano specialists in three continents, Europe, Latin America, and the United States. And she's going to talk to us about Bach, the music of Bach. And she's going to be playing for us to, in the next uh, minutes. And I'd like to direct all of you that are listening to this That if you'd like to hear more about Simone's life story, we interviewed her recently in November of last year in our channel in Portuguese. If you're watching this, you can go all the way to the description at the bottom of the YouTube channel and you can click on the link for the Portuguese conversation. Soon we're going to have an audio interpretation, like an overdub of this conversation for those that don't speak Portuguese. So stay tuned. Best way to find out is to like and subscribe Spirit Reflections on YouTube so you get notified every time we have new content like this. So, without further ado, let's invite our guest tonight, Simone Leitão. Simone, good evening and welcome.
1: Good evening. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me and thank everybody. I really appreciate this, this channel and I love to be around your lives and anyhow. Yes, I'm here. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm also letting everybody know in the description here, but for those that are only listening to this as a podcast, look up Simone's Instagram, Simone Leitão Piano on Instagram. She, every now and then on Sundays, I believe, she does a impromptu live performance on some beautiful hymns on the piano. And she describes the history behind the hymns and she plays it. I don't think there's anything more refreshing to wake up in the morning to on a Sunday than that. So <laughs> look her up and follow her online. She also has a really cool and entertaining channel on YouTube that provides a lot of educational content about the backstage of classical music, opera, why orchestras uh, are the way they are, how do they evolve, why, where did opera start, how did it come about. So all of those resources available online. And tonight, we're going to be doing a lot of music and not necessarily just talking. We're going to Try to understand at least on a surface level why Bach as a composer is so important and especially his spirituality. What makes it about his spirituality so important to us and has made his music so influential? So I think we should just jump right into it, right, Simone? Yeah. Why? Tell why? Us. <laughs> um
1: I I am I've been always very fascinated by Bach and his life because first he was the 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 youngest of a large family and i'm the youngest of a large family <laughs> he was protestant i'm protestant so there is a lot of things and of course the music um and so i i tried to read as many um biographies as i could uh, about him and the most famous of them all is albert schweitzer um biography and I, I think you were acquainted with him and yes. uh, his, he was also a philosopher and theologian and everything um but in, Schweitzer used to say something that I find very helpful for you to understand. Who was Bach in the whole journey of music in this planet? Mostly uh, Western music, but you know, the keys everywhere. And he was, Schweitzer used to say that everything that happened in music before him was pointing to him. And everything that happened to in music after him was looking to him, was looking back to him. So in a way, he was he was never an innovator in a way, uh, musically. He lived in a time where Baroque music, and especially where well, Baroque was at, at, at its peak. And basically, uh, when you think about polyphony. Everybody was very happy with polyphony, but we were kind of, kind of tired of polyphony. It was dying out, and he was so much into it. And instead of making something new or being part of the whole revolution of proto-classical music, he was looking back to Palestrina. He was looking back to. <laughs> so the moment he looked back, and the same thing happened to Brahms. Actually, uh, he became like this huge. Um, This huge fire, (laughs) I can see fire now, but the light, he was light that brought everything that in classical music happened before so that, you know, he could light out the next... It's
0: almost like the fact that Bach was able to stay so centered and grounded in his present at the time by using all of the resources that he had inherited from previous generations composers... In a way, he was able to capture the zeitgeist of his time, right?
1: Zeitgeist, exactly.
0: Uh, Even it, though he wouldn't be recognized as such a composer during his lifetime, right?
1: Yeah, he was basically a servant most of his life, and his um, his son C.P.E. Uh, Carl Philipp Emanuel had much more uh, of. A, he was much more famous uh, than than Bach, and for many years. Bach was seen as, even Mozart saw Bach as like the father of C.P.E. or the father of Johann Christian, because Mozart was a student of Johann Christian. Oh, uh, yeah, so anyhow, but, um, but Bach basically, he never left Germany. He was always there. He could, he could never imagine that his music would cross all over the world, and um, it, he's one of the most, if not the most um, recorded, studied composer of all times. Um, Beethoven used to say, because Bach, you know, German, because you speak German beautifully. Bach means um, uh, like a, a, sh- a short stream, right? Like a, brook. A, brook, like a brook, exactly, brook. And, and Beethoven said he could have, uh, he should be called ocean.
0: Ocean, for sure. And I I so agree with Albert Schweitzer's uh, take on Bach because I kind of like to compare Bach and to the history of religions to like the figure of of Jesus. We had BC and AD, the whole world changed, just like Bach's music has done the same. And I don't think... We, we might, this might be online 10 years from now, and 100 years from now, 200 years from now. If people stumble upon this, it's going to be just as contemporary, I believe, than Absolutely. it is today because of the power of his music. And I, I believe that the spirituality, his faith, his devotion are part of what makes his music so important and lasting.
1: Oh, definitely, know? because it was part of a major agenda, he was not just doing his music for his agenda, you know. He first—it's incredible how he could write that many music, uh, so much music, while he was still teaching and he had so many kids and he was serving the church. And afterwards, he was serving some some princes <laughs> here yeah. and there, and uh, and he was able to to write and he was basically writing every week a new cantata based on the sermon of that week. I had personally the opportunity to see his Bible in Leipzig, and, and it's like everything was written. He would really study the Bible. And, and for Christians, you know, we are, we are one of the religions of the book. So...
0: <laughs> oh, the, the man totally had a Protestant work ethic and was a faithful <laughs> Christian as well, not just in his music, but outside the music. right?
1: Yeah, but there's something that is interesting, uh, too, that his, fa- his mother, his father was very Protestant, Lutheran, but his mother was uh, an Anab- Anabaptist. I don't know how to say. I mm-hmm. think it's like this. It's a more sort of like a Pentecostal, so to speak, like a pre-Pentecostal. Got so uh, he was more mystic than we would think because okay. the Pentecostals were, you know, usually they they are more empiric uh, in terms right. of their faith. And so... Uh, so Ba had that and so he he didn't have exa- exactly what we would see afterwards in wagner's music which would be leitmotif or something like that but he did uh build some atmospheres in his head before i mean he really wanted us to have a certain uh proximity with with the lord with holy the holy spirit and um he was very intentional, basically, in his Absolutely. writing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you see, for instance, um, he never wrote, the only genre that he never wrote in Baroque was opera. He never wrote opera. He could have, of course, he was mostly working for the church, but he could have written some opera. He didn't want to, that's what Schweitzer says. He wanted to only tell the stories of, Jesus, basically, so he could not. Uh, but at the same time, he touches the mystic of, of the romantic love in his cantatas. Every time the soul, usually soul, uh, is, is a soprano or an alto, is singing, uh, usually a, a very, an area that could be an area of love, and is singing for Jesus to Jesus. And Jesus is really usually the tenor who sings and very romantically to the soul.
0: Oh, I see.
1: So the soul of humankind in general and Jesus the Lord. So this is, uh, you can, I love his cantatas and you can see that this is not me saying, this is Schweitzer. Right. So Schweitzer's understanding. So I find uh, another thing that he said, too, is that, uh, of course, he would use some of the materials of the non-sacred to the sacred and so on and so forth. But what he said is that the only way that one material would be reused, it would be the sacred material would be reused for the non-sacred.
0: Non-sacred. So I never
1: see. the opposite.
0: Never the opposite. That makes sense. And, and it does make sense that even though he didn't write operas, he did write enough cantatas to yes. emu- emulate the operatic experience, at least with orchestra and singing vocals, vocalists and instrumentalists coming together. And, and the I drama. Think, and the, Exactly. The drama, like the passions, the John and the uh-huh. Matthew passions that he did are extremely dramatic. You can see it in the, in the fabric of the music, I mean. They're they're not called operas. They might as well have been, a, at the time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. We're gonna have a couple of pieces from a very <laughs> important body of work that Bach, Bach put together, right? And I believe uh, it's so fitting because the year twenty twenty two marks a three hundred anniversary of this body of work. Three
1: hundred? Right? Can you imagine three hundred years? Wow. <laughs> so, Tell us. So- yeah, some people in, pop, in the pop music world would say that a, a song that is, you know, was written in 2020 is old now. Is
0: old, exactly. Well,
1: <laughs> tell, tell about The, the Well-Tempered Clavier. Well, there's a little, like, just a short story about yeah. this book that I would like to share. Uh, the Well-Tempered Clavier was written in 1722 when he was working in Curtin, uh, in the court of the prince uh, in Curtin. Curtain. So he worked there for five years, and so for five years he didn't write any sacred music, any liturgical music, because he was working in the court. Uh, so he wrote a lot of pieces for for instrumental. Of course, all these Brandenburg concerti was written there; they were written there, and so and so he had, of course, many students, and his and his kids as well, and. There was all this thing about temperament, which is basically tuning, right? So the perfect tuning, the equal system tuning, was, were, was being uh, just tested because it was not truly like we have it today. So it was very, something very innovative. And Bach was always tuning his own instruments, his keyboard instruments. Clavier means keyboard. It can be everything here can be played in organ, clavichord, harpsichord, and later on piano. So he, uh, he just wanted to show that people shouldn't be afraid of some keys, signatures, who were completely very untuned in the old temperament and the old tuning system. So if you, you can see that uh, Ramon, his contemporaries, Ramon, Handel, right. Scarlatti, they were not writing pieces for the keyboard in all keys. You have just some keys, and that some keys are avoided. So Bach said, well, I'm going to write, that's why it is called the well-tempered clavier, because he said, well, I'm going to write in all the keys, majors and minors, a prelude and a fugue, so that you can see that it can sound the same, it doesn't matter,
0: because so if he's you have almost the... coming from an engineering innovator point exactly. of view.
1: <laughs> exactly. And and you know that every key has its own uh, personality and right. its own... The key of the doctrine of affections. If you can explain to your audience, I know that you know that, right? I
0: do know the doctrine of affections. Please explain to me <laughs> too.
1: Yes. This was also organized during the Baroque period that each key had... Uh, could express better a certain feeling or a certain emotion. For instance, C-sharp minor is desperation, right? Uh, the, the Moonlight Sonata is written in C-sharp minor. Uh, that's, uh, and D major is like royal, most of the coronation they were written in C D major, right, right. B flat, E flat, were uh, keys that you could use more in liturgical settings. Um, A minor, so D minor is very, very spiritual, very spiritual, because it's the closest one to Dorian uh, mode. So um, y- you have all of this, and and he tries to. He, he basically has that in every, every key. He organizes, um, he shows that he has a, a certain emotion that he wants to describe. And, uh, and the thing is that we never find desperation in his music, in because his there's music. no such thing as desperation in, in bass music. In there's a man no, of
0: faith like his. Yes, like him, there's right?
1: no evil in his, in his music. He was very, again, very intentional. Uh, with his craft, he used to say that uh, the music is for one purpose—to glorify God and to and the source,
0: refreshment of and the refreshment soul,
1: right? of the soul. Yes, yeah. And of course, yeah. people hate that nowadays because you cannot say that kind of things. You know, this is so I much. I love it.
0: Yeah, I, I love it I think it's too. more more urgent than ever that we refresh our souls and glorify God in in everything that we do, especially. The music of Bach, right? Yeah, why don't we do? Why don't we go into music then, Simone? So yeah, we yeah, can
2: yeah. feel I,
0: some of this. Um, we're gonna. So you're gonna put your microphone in the piano so that we could better listen to it. And before we go there, give us a little taste of what you're oh, gonna yeah. play. Piece.
1: I am going to play the first prelude of the first book. Again, he wrote after 20 22 years after that. When absolutely, it was like six years before he died. In 1744, he wrote the second book. The second book is, for me, is even more amazing and, and beautiful. And back then, his his sons were saying to him, "Like you don't need to write. I mean, this temperament thing is gone. It's like twenty years ago. You know, just get over it. Stop with writing like very complicated fugues and stuff." And then he wrote again for his amusement. And in the beginning of the book, he says, this is just an exercise, he says, just an exercise for the amusement of of a student or a professional who would like to entertain himself or herself in the evening of his home. So it's, he didn't have any like pretensions on that. But right. just remember that when Chopin left to Majorca to, you know, to help his health, he just took with him the two books.
0: The two well tempered claviers. That's the only. That's all he took. Yes. That speaks volumes.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, so I will play the first one. is in C major. Um, It is very simple. If you can think, it is not. There is no problem in terms of technique that you can. But of course, you need to have the control of the sound. Later on, in like more than a hundred years after that, uh, Gounod was a French composer. Um, and very Catholic. He wrote a melody on top of that, a melody uh, praising Mary. So, uh, it's, so it's a good ecumenical uh, thought, if you can see. Okay, I'm going to take a uh, real quiet. How was it?
0: Bravo. Sound because beautiful. Thank you. thank you. That was so refreshing. For yes. the next one, I just may. May I suggest to perhaps you put it a little further away from maybe where the hammers are because. Oh
1: yes, it was too much. It was vibrating
0: remember. sometimes, depending on the note, uh-huh. but it still sounded beautiful. Thank you. Okay.
1: Yeah, but uh, It's always new. His music is always new. I can never say. Um, Oh, now I played it like this. It's going to be like this always. And uh, and then again, he he was very important for classical composers, romantic and and even Debussy, everybody, Shostakovich. And of course, jazz. (laughs) Jazz musicians used to, you know,
0: practice his music every day. I think a good word for him is foundational. Oh, yeah. It was foundational. Every other composer that would go after him, and no matter what style and genre, if the composer had any remedial level of training, musical training, they would have been influenced by Bach in a foundational way. So I think we went from. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: No, I I used to say he is the arrival point where everything started.
0: The (laughs) arrival point where everything started. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Inflection point, right?
1: Yes, yeah, inflection.
0: Yeah. So we were we the when you started to play, I just started thinking to myself, "Wow, I never thought of this correlation between a Protestant and the Catholic would sort of come together in this beautiful piece, a hundred years apart from one another."
1: Yes. And yes. It's
0: one of the most renowned melodies in the world, recognizable melodies.
1: Yes, right? because when you start playing, you see this is the purely the music of Bach. So there was no melody, right? But it, it really. And you feel like exactly. So he was a genius. Guno was a genius. so uh, I would have never thought of, of touching the music of Ba, but he did. Yeah. And I don't think Ba would have, you know, been mad at it. At no, all. I
0: think there. I think he was helping him somehow in the other <laughs> side of life. Yeah. So we go to another whole contrast, like twenty-two years later, right? And is, is this from the second book? The next no, one I'm going play, to just, play for, just oh, okay. play for the
1: first book. I'm just going for the first book because I have a, a, this personal thing this year. Since they, uh, I play a lot of pieces from the second book, and I've already recorded some of it. You can see on Spotify. So people, if you, they want to,
2: That's some right. of these
1: pieces are there. And uh, this year, I. If I feel it's ready, I would like to record some of them, at least half of them. What I'm doing now is that every week I devote, since there are 52 weeks in a year, yep. uh, and there are 48 pieces in this book. So I am taking one week to work on one piece. <laughs> and so, of course, I'm doing other things. But right. every morning I wake up really early. And uh, I hope I'm not I'm not being like too mystic but i wake up really early really early like before the the sunrise and i like to play Bach at this point point. and uh sometimes really i start playing Bach when people visit me they see because i live in the mountains there are many birds the birds sing much more when i play Bach, like but much more when i play other composers Okay, they're happy, but when I play bar, is incredible. They come even closer. There's
0: I have no good. doubt about that, Simone. And I don't think that's not, not even close of a stretch in mystical conversations. <laughs> and if it is, you're in the right channel for that. I know. John asks, asks a question here. Does Bach's books or other books reveal any information about his inspirations from the spirit world, or I guess from heaven or from heavenly sources, or no? I don't
1: think I don't think so. You know, we have we lack informations about that because he he was very Protestant in this sense. He would keep his faith to uh, to individual and to private. and because, you know, the relationship with God is to be private, but your actions need to impact the world. So this is like the, the good Protestant mentality. Sometimes sometimes right. we don't follow that, but that would be a good Protestant would follow that. So I mm. think he was a good one. And uh, no, he does. But there is one thing you can, uh, the foundation of his music comes from uh, are the chorales and the hymns of of German Lutheran Church, and where do these melody come from? This is something very interesting because before the Reformation, the melodies they were all they the basic of classical music. Of they it comes from the Gregorian chant, right? Right. Which which is the root of everything, the root of polyph- polyphony and everything. Okay, so then comes the. the the church reformation in the 16th century. And what did they do? They said, well, we don't want to sing these melodies that nobody sings and they don't understand, the people don't understand. So the first hymnal, so to speak, of German uh, Lutheran church came from the streets. They would go to taverns. They would get whatever melody people were singing on the streets. And, and they would take that melody, so it's very purely German and, and completely uh, non, non-sacred. Mm-hmm. They would take that to church and just tweak and change some lyrics and, of course, do the four-parts harmony so that everybody could sing. Oh, nice. Two voices for women, two voices for men, so then we wouldn't have to have that spectacle, which was beautiful. I find the spectacle of of the the Catholic Church of the Renaissance, amazing. But it was basically a spectacle. People could not actually take part of it, take part on it. So they were just watching this wonderful uh, theater and drama. And so what uh, they wanted to do in the Reformation was to make everybody take part as a congregation.
0: In the worship service.
1: In the worship service. So think about it for a moment. What was for about... A thousand years—not a thousand years, but six hundred years, seven hundred years—the basic, which was the 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 Gregorian chant. Now, it's the melody of the people, so it's the folk brought, songs uh, of into Germany. the Lutheran
0: basically. service and exactly and orchestrated into a four-part harmony, so that it could sound beautiful and people can feel a sense of belonging by contributing their own voices to it.
1: Yes, and so the the same thing happened to in other countries as they became Protestant, and so yeah, um, some. So if you think of it about this, that this is what happened to his music. He he would get some of that influence, but also a lot, a lot of Palestrina. Palestrina, wow. if, you, if you listen to Palestrina, if you listen to Josquin Desprez, exactly <laughs> these great composers in the time, not the Josquin Desprez, Josquin Desprez was, for, was before, but Palestrina was ex- lived exactly in the time where the Reformation took place, and he was, of course, uh, Catholic. Oh. But uh, Bach was looking to his music a lot and the way he wrote God. melodically. So Beautiful. he did have some, yeah. I don't know if I answered his, his question. I, it's,
0: it's cool. We can continue uh, meditating and reflecting on this idea because, you know, I was a good question. Let's keep going. Because I would love to hear the prelude in C sharp in C, minor.
1: In C sharp minor. I will take this. Oops. Sorry. What if I put it here?
0: I think it's going to be good then it's going to be away from the piano's vibrations
1: so see i was going to play the c minor but i'll play now the c sharp minor which is something that i'm learning this week mm. Lindo, né?
0: it's beautiful and the fact
1: the fact <laughs> that
0: it ends on a major key so unexpected it's like hopeful
1: it is hopeful yes it it's it's he does that quite many times, but not always, but many times he does that uh the whole piece is very lyrical. he takes the best of C sharp minor um the colors he takes and then he he decides because every prelude is completely different you have the prelude that comes before it it's completely different and the c minor more clavier like more um, uh, technical and then all of a sudden he writes something so melodic with three voices and the fugue of this is terrifying because it has five voices (laughs) completely terrifying
0: so your your early morning exercises are you saying every week you're going to do one of the preludes in one of the preludes or one of the fugues so uh
1: this week is this prelude next week uh, is the fugue and so on so that i can have uh it's my way of thanking Bah! For for he did at least forty minutes, forty-five minutes a day the whole year. I will have this silent celebration. It's an amazing <laughs>
0: therapeutic experience for our ears. And I would even uh, venture to suggest if you ever want to turn on your phone and put it on your Instagram there live, you know, let us know here on the channel, and I'll start letting people know because to be. Present there with you, like the birds would be. Related. With
1: the birds, yes, I should. <laughs> I should do this. Yes, I've I've been uh, pretty good at this morning discipline this past two years due to all of this that we're going right. through, um, and so I'm really like waking up at that certain time to pray, read, uh, and and the Bible is so amazing because even when you're reading the story of the kings of Israel and the, all their fights and everything. In the middle of it, God just speaks in the middle of the fight with you. You know, there's like exactly what you need to listen in that single day. If you read the same passage some days after, you see other things, not exactly what you needed to see. And so I do that exercise and afterwards, uh, yes, and afterwards I don't even drink coffee. I go straight to Bach. And so all of this, uh, This I do This is your morning morning.
0: meditation.
1: (laughs) Yes, and it's so good. And the problem is that when I have uh, people over, (laughs) I tell them, you're going to listen to Bach really early, continue sleeping. I will not play a whole concert. It's just that I need that moment.
0: Absolutely. That's your alarm for the morning. Um, (laughs) Muni, there's a um, cantata. Is that a cantata or a chorale?
1: It's a choral from a cantata, I call to thee. I call to thee, right? I to thee, right? Yeah. Yes, I call to thee.
0: Rufen, right?
1: Rufen. His cantatas are exactly his most spiritual journey, are all of these cantatas. Um, um, one of his cantatas he wrote when he came back from a journey and he came home. And his wife died, and his, you know, a child, a child birth, and the child also died, and they were already buried because it took so so much time for him to arrive, and he didn't even know. So um, and so he writes that cantata, is this Right, this is enough. So um, it's the the most he can he can be of somebody that is really unhappy with what happened. At the yeah. same time, he never loses his faith. is amazing.
0: Yeah, okay. before, you, before you play, I kind of wanted to go into the this Das ist genug moment that you've described to us. Because uh-huh. as a violinist, this is also what I take when I travel. My, ah. my, my toiletry kit and the six sonatas <laughs> and partidas for solo violin by Bach and the cool thing about this edition is you get to see his original handwriting as well. Wow. And it's it's cool because he wrote, he apparently published the six uh, solo sonatas and partitas for violin after his wife passed away, who yes. was his lifelong companion in every way. And apparently he wrote in the cover of the first published edition, "Say Solo per Violino, in, in mm-hmm. Italian, I Am Alone, which is a play on words, Instead of say soli, which would be the correct six solos, say hey, soli. He on, said, yeah. "Say solo, I'm alone." And yes. there is a lot of tremendously beautiful lonely parts here in the in the sonatas and partidas for violin, which, especially the chaconne, I've created this entire imaginative theory in my head, which I have not had uh, anybody prove to me. But until somebody proves. Otherwise, I really believe that that Chacon movement is a love poem to his deceased wife and all of that intensity of the longing and the sadness of her not being around. And then that middle passage, was, which is in major, yeah, is that... sort of like... I love that. It's... it's almost like him looking back when she was alive and the pleasant uh... mom- moments that they stayed together, you know?
1: Yes, I should have prepared some of my Busoni, <laughs> the, because because Busoni wrote a uh, transcription for that for the piano, and I also have that on Spotify. Uh, I would well, like maybe
0: to... maybe we can have another episode, maybe second semester of this year in twenty twenty two, or we have another encounter around the fire with the music with the music of Bach
1: yes definitely um can i can i play the other piece now not not if if you don't mind if you don't mind because we were talking about uh, um the whole hymnal
2: of the lutheran
1: church and you asked me to play some some hymns right um and i remember this one he also had in one of his cantatas i don't know which one Or I think, no, he has uh, for the oratorio, the Christmas oratorio, right? Um, The one that I'm going to play now. Mm -hmm. We have, of course, we we sing, so we have lyrics. So the lyrics were taken from Bernard de Clairvaux, who lived in 1091 to 1153. He, He was the main, actually... He, he was the bishop who took care of this southern France uh, monastery that Eleanor d'Aquitaine uh, built for so trying to find a, like a theological path for the feminine. Oh, he nice. was the first one that Bernard de Clairvaux had that. And um, so he wrote the, the lyrics, but we, of course we're not thinking about the lyrics. The music is from Hans Leo Hassler, who wrote that in 1601 and the harmony is by Johann Sebastian Bach in 1729.
0: So, 1601, I believe, is the year that Hamlet was also published by Shakespeare. Wow, you I, know that. If I recall correctly, and I'm just trying to draw parallels about what was happening elsewhere in the world that year.
1: 1601,
0: yeah. So, repeat to us the dates, please, just so I can really get Me- into Hans- it.
1: Yes, Hans-Leo Hasler wrote, he he's, was one of like these main uh, composers who, who took melodies from the folk and the, the, the lives of everybody and, to, and took it to church. And he also wrote some of the melodies. So he wrote that melody in 1601. Uh, Bach wrote the, the harmony like 128 years later. But the lyrics, as we sing, we sing the lyrics that come from uh, a text, a Latin text by Bernard de Clairvaux. Got it. The, the Latin tex- text is about, basically, it describes the face of, of the Lord when he, he he was on the cross. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I was... The sound with
0: the that was very good. That okay. has got to be one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. This, <laughs> um, I actually put it on the comments for people to look at later. The exact same hymn that Simone just played, Bach himself used it in his Saint Matthew Passion, Saint Matthew's and in that, Passion,
2: right?
0: and then that part that oh Haupt voll Blut von Wunden, which means oh sacred head. Now yes. wounded, exactly. So as the crowd is the crowd of people are, are there contemplating in awe and in pain and a mixture of sensations the crucified Christ. They're sort of lamenting in song at what they're seeing, and I put it on the YouTube on our uh, comments here the a link to a performance. Of the St. Matthew Passion, of that specific passage, via Hauptfall Blut von Wunden that you just played, Simone. It's amazing to see the different ways we can experience the same piece of music, the same (laughs) melody, done differently with orchestra, with with just a cappella chorus, or in your example that you just played for us, simply in a piano passage. Yes,
1: it is amazing. I usually in our. In our church when we have communion, usually uh, someone's just playing something so that you could reflect while you take communion. And I love to play that. So I play that as many times as possible in many ways. And I never get tired. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's some, some hymns that basically describe this, yeah, the drama of the cross or the, the victory of the resurrection, our life. Uh, If you think about it for for a moment we inherited this the drama of of the praise songs from the jewish tradition the jewish if you take it the beginning of the christian singing um it it, we were just basically imitating what they did and then it took all the forms as christianity took other places and so you finally get to Gregorian chant which which is basically a mixture of many chants you had the chant of Rome you had the chant of the Carolingian especially Metz which is after, afterwards became Paris so if if you think about uh, about it that you the, the beginning the foundation was Jewish and the Hebrews used to sing from many, many centuries ago, before that, they used to sing psalms and hymns with more private, intimate and really drama with God. They would tell everything, you know, in the psalms, if you see the, what is written, when you see the Dave, David psalms, uh, he was also a musician. So the right. main, <laughs> So the main king of Israel was a musician as well as a warrior. And, and so, of course, there we can only see the, the lyrics, but he makes a lot of cues. How you should, some, some psalms, there are cues. Here, uh, the psaltery should play, and here you should have this and that. But um, anyhow, this, this is just something that I've been working on reading on how early Christians used to sing. <laughs> and I've been really digging into this. So this is something that I love to study. Of course yeah, and,
0: I'm, um, and it's so central as a hobby. All, yeah, and it's so central to all kinds of worship all over the world. Any any place in the world, any time of history, uh-huh. you see that the role of music is central to worship, to a religiosity experience of, of a course. community. And that's universal. And when you were talking about King David, it just reminded me that he apparently had a lot of fits of anger and fits of sort of bipolar outbursts and apparently one of the things that would calm him down was one of his servants to play the harp or him play the harp himself and apparently those were moments when he would compose the psalms since they were all really songs and yeah we just see the written poems that survived but we didn't have recordings back then to actually hear how the the yeah. melodies were. but we get we definitely get an idea by looking at the traditions the traditional hebrew Uh, singing in synagogue, how it must have sounded like. Yes,
1: definitely. We also know from the Bible that he had to play the harp for King Saul to calm down. King Saul used to have this... this,
0: Oh, got it. uh, And maybe...
1: Yeah, the fits were, as the Bible says, that they were uh-huh. from King Saul's.
0: <laughs> but and so David would play the harp to calm King Saul. To David.
1: call him, yeah. Oh,
0: nice. <laughs> Learning something every day. <laughs>
1: yes. Now, but um, back to, to Bach, I, I don't think I now can play East Kruf so dear, although I love it. If you don't mind, I could play other things. Sure. It's just that I am not, uh, very sure if the computer is going to behave well and uh, i am such an old school <laughs> kind of person i should have uh, printed it out because i had the music but it's not here with me no and so i decided i don't want to what i will do is i'll play that on my next sunday live thing so if you want to just <laughs> I will start with that.
0: (laughs) I like the sound of that. And I want to get the word out to folks. What time in the morning do you usually turn on your phone to play? Yeah, at 9
1: a.m. Brazilian time, which is 7 a.m. for you guys. It's very early.
0: 7 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday, the 16th of January, 2022. If you are awake at that time, go to Instagram and check out Simone Leitão. She's going to give you a beautiful morning concert to start your Sunday in the right way. <laughs>
1: yes, I just I just play. I speak some, but I basically play. So that uh, and like I said, uh, the Christian music is the same everywhere. So yeah. people are and a lot of people who watch. They are not actually. They don't go to church or they don't even call themselves Christians, but they love it and they also right. get. They are blessed with it, um, like. The music of, of Bach. I was going to say something about about Bach that I, I find interesting is that when he was about to die, he was um, he was very sick and he was very ill and he had a, a problem in his eyesight. He could not see. Right. Uh, he was he was not being able to see well. So he asked one of his uh, sons, of course, CPE who was always with him. <laughs> I always call him CPE, call Philip Emmanuel. Um, He asked him to write down what he wanted to write. He says, oh, OK, I have, of course, he, he had all these inspirations all the time. So he was writing down his music. And uh, one day he woke up and he could see uh, for just one day. So he wrote his very last piece, and uh, he didn't even finish, Who was which was a, a hymn. Um, I need to find this chorale. It's a chorale, uh, which is, I don't know exactly the name in German, but it says, oh, Lord, here I am by your throne. I think you've That's heard this. wonderful.
2: Yes. Oh, Lord, and then here it's I like, am by your throne.
1: And then by like two days after he died. and. Wow. Yeah, so, and Carl Philipp wrote about that. He said, Well, here, this was my last, uh, my, my father's last chorale. So his last piece of music was a chorale. So it is so hard for me to talk about Bach because he's so present in my life. Ever since I was a little girl, I decided to play the piano because I loved his music and I wanted to hear his music all the time. My father had a, a place in our home, of course so many brothers and sisters, we were 12 and I'm the youngest, and I would love to just refuge there and listen to his cantatas because he had the whole collection. And I, it is hard every time some people say, well, would you like to talk about Bach? I read about him, I meditate about his life, but I I only learned with him, and I find it like I don't have words, I don't, (laughs) you know, I only remember Shostakovich, who was himself an atheist, and he right. said, "Yeah, it's amazing." Shostakovich said, "Bah, is humankind's best friend." <laughs> I find in his music like friend; he's a friend. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's
0: it's it's no wonder that when the NASA folks decided to send a uh, spaceship out into the universe unmanned, just Uh, to see if they could find life in some other place. One of the artifacts that they included was an album of music by Bach as a representation of humankind's achievements. There were other artifacts, but in the realm of music and art, they chose to include an album of music of Bach. I I think that also is a a perfect example of what you're talking about. And I agree with you as a musician that, Bach has to be experienced not only by playing Bach, but also by listening to it. I think you really understand and feel yes. the breadth and the scope of what Bach meant to us through his music. It's really hard to have a conversation about him biographically that, that can easily be experienced by reading a book. But I think nowadays when we have this format of podcasts and audios, people want to find an almost like a shortcut, like an insight into Give me the whys and give me an example of this why, and I'll do the rest myself later. And so that's why I'm so uh, grateful that you had a chance to play a little bit for us. And I would like to encourage you to continue doing these Sunday morning uh, moments that you have on your social media because I think the most important thing is to provide people with a context, with a little bit of access to why that music is so meaningful. And you were able to do that. You don't just play, you actually explain why. And how and where and when, and then you give the, the music. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm
1: well, I am, I, I am uh, very happy and very, very fortunate to have uh, first the faith. Well, I, I think that faith, I don't think, I am sure that faith is a gift. And when you have, if you don't have, and if you'd like to have faith, ask. Yeah. Because it will be given to you. Uh, and when you have a, you walk with faith, everything else uh, is just a matter of understanding, of learning and getting to know the Lord closer and getting to know yourself and uh, and your limits and everything makes more sense. I basically think Bach had this life. He had a life of faith. Of course, he had so many you know fails and falls like everybody, but he did have that. Once uh, there was this,
0: oh my god, you're good with your phone there. Hey, hey. hello, I'm here? here. I'm here. here. I'm here. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes, there was this story that I oh, don't know. He had a fight once he went to, to jail because he had a fight in front of the church because someone said that he could not have uh, his wife because when she, back then she was only his uh, fiance and she, she he wanted her to sing. And so they said, well, she cannot sing because women cannot sing in this church. So he said, well, he will. At the end, he ended up fighting. And there was a story. I like to say, this, tell these stories, just to say that he is human. He was human right. completely. So there also that story that um, a duke wanted him to, to keep him, uh, he, he wanted to leave. The duke wanted him to, to uh, want to keep him. And so he took him to uh, to jail, also, to say, well, you're going to stay here until you change your mind. Yeah, because what the he,
0: duke was employing Bach, right?
1: Yes, exactly, employing Bach. He said, well, I am going to another town now. I'm not going to uh, goodbye. Thank you very much. So the duke, he said, no, you're gonna stay here. You're gonna stay here. And so he was very happy. He took he just asked, okay, can you give me like a clavichord or a harpsichord, something? And then he it was, was right like, like play <laughs> in
0: jail, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And for him, it was I think it was good for a while to be there because his his family life was very busy. He has all these kids. He had all these kids. And he looked like uh, in his dinner table, he would only make questions, ask questions and quizzes and about music with all his kids. And unfortunately, the most uh, talented of them all, he used to say, was Wilhelm Friedrich, who died uh, Quite uh, young, because he 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 was drinking too much, too heavily. Yeah, and for my, it was really hard. But another just less story. Yeah, yeah. his his youngest daughter was called Regina. Forgot to, it was like two names that they don't match. Regina something. She was uh, he she lived a long life, but she never got married. So she lived until she was around 80 years old. She, she was quite poor because she, you know uh, her brothers were already gone and so on. Beethoven was then already famous and he knew of that. Uh, so he, he decided to send her, the, not money, but only the rights of the editions of some of his works. I think it was quartets and so on. Um, he called uh, his, his editors, I think it was a cough, mm-hmm. uh and Hartel, and said, well, you should send her uh, all the proceeds so she could live well until the very end of her life. Beautiful. Because he said, she's royal. She She's completely royalty. She's royalty, yeah. Yes, yeah, she could not uh, live a life like that which I think it is so beautiful of of Beethoven too. Very generous, very generous. I
0: think he had a lot of empathy for what she was going through, having had the life experience that he had. And I believe it was Beethoven who said, I didn't wish to only entertain them. I wish to make them better.
1: Oh yeah, that's (laughs) Beethoven-like. He had
0: the same uh, desire to uplift people through his music, not just entertain people through his music right exactly so you could totally see how he would look at Bach's uh, daughter as a precious you know lineage of a a, a daughter of a a king in a way right oh
1: yeah he was
0: we're getting close to the end of our our conversation but I would love it if you could (laughs) treat us to one final piece of music of your choosing either by Bach or one of your the Lutheran hymns and then you could tell us a little bit about why you picked it and then we can close the conversation with music
1: yes i am um i, I don't like to say all that because you know protestants they have so many branches there are so many branches now once we cut with the catholic roman church they were like just <laughs> all sorts of so i was raised presbyterian and presbyterian is very american right <laughs> it's, yeah can, uh, so the 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 first ones that came to Brazil were were Americans, and so there's this piece. Uh, it's a hymn. It was actually written in Sweden. Since I speak Norwegian, I can say the name of it in in Swedish is "Vurstu which means "How great thou art," and was also the and was also the hymn that um, uh, Elvis Presley loved to sing in his. Even to the end of his life, he loved to sing. So it's basically one of our hits, our Marseillaise, so to speak. So I will play How Great Thou Art.
0: Beautiful, thank you.
1: So if you are at home and you'd like to sing along, you can sing along.
0: <laughs> yes, please. Thank you.
1: so simple but I it talks to my soul so much yes he's grand he's great and the musical part is also
0: great (laughs) absolutely amen to that we definitely (laughs) felt it some of the most divine music is also the simplest especially when it's interpreted in such a heartfelt way like you did just now so
1: thank you so much Fred I thank you very much for having me once again Um, yeah, and I hope to, to see you again in the, in the future in person and of yes. course in in some of our digital uh, encounters.
0: For those that want to learn more about Simone, in our channel, we interviewed her last year in Portuguese. And if you want to see that interview and you speak Portuguese, look all the way down in the description of the YouTube video. You're going to find the link of our conversation in Portuguese where Simone talks more about her life her journey, her current uh, works and projects and all the different things that she's got in store. And this interview soon will also be available in an English translation. And so please like and subscribe our channel Spirit Reflections with the little um, lotus flower on the logo. And tell us how we can bring this channel into more comforting, enlightening and provocative content for spiritual reflections and so Simoni, we're going to close with the vignette that we were going that we were going to open but i was having yeah. technical difficulties here <laughs> but until next time big hug thank to you. all your family god bless happy new year god and bless we'll, you and we'll see you on sunday mornings in your yes. channel for yes. some beautiful worship music with the birds singing
1: with the birds singing yes thank you Take bye care. bye god thank bless thank you everybody
0: you. god bless
1: bye